When I hear the word grace, I think of someone bringing beauty out of my biggest mistakes, being my real self, and being loved without conditions. I think about a love that's stronger, rock solid, bigger than anything I can ever imagine. When I'm really aware of God's grace, when I experience it, it's like a weight is gone. <sighs> a breath of fresh air. Freedom. It gives me hope. And when we share it with our families, our neighbors, our friends, with our church family, total strangers, we experience joy, growth, thankfulness, peace, healing. We experience more grace. Well, I remember very vividly the first time I experienced grace in ministry. Back in high school, our church youth group started a choir. And a couple weekends a year, we would go on tour around the Northeast visiting small churches that couldn't afford real talent. And we would come and sing for them and tell our stories. The first trip out, I was a lowly freshman, and we found ourselves in Vermont. One Sunday morning, we were at this very small country church, kind of a one-room schoolhouse type affair. Couldn't have been more than eight pews in the sanctuary, a big potbelly stove right in the middle of the place. There were maybe 30 or so people there, a couple of family groups, some older couples and individuals scattered about, uh, and, and a dog sleeping right in the doorway. And he was one of the 30 that was included in the count <laughs> that day. We pretty much took over the platform with our electric guitars and our drum kits and our microphones and a couple of dozen singers. The pastor introduced us, and you could tell right away that people weren't exactly used to special guests in their church, and they sure weren't used to a bunch of long-haired city kids taking over their church with guitars and drums. But once we got singing, they kind of warmed up to us a little bit, and pretty soon we had them clapping along to some 1970s folk rock Christian music. A little further on, some of the older kids began to share their testimonies of how God had saved them from sex and drugs and who knows what else, and God really had saved them. Towards the end, we sang a, a, a rousing song of, of worship, and, and I caught a glimpse of a man kind of sitting in the middle of the congregation. Looked like a hard-working guy, a farmer, maybe, overalls, flannel shirt, weathered face. Had his arms draped across the back of the pew with his wife and kids kind of gathered around, and he was smiling from ear to ear at the music and the stories and these crazy kids who came all the way up from the city to sing songs about Jesus. And in that moment, looking out at that congregation, surrounded by this great group of kids I was now part of, following a choir director who, who believed we had something to offer, I felt like I was part of something really special, that I was actually doing something for these people and and, and for God, and the joy on that man's face and what I was feeling in my, it was about the best feeling I'd ever had in my life. And I knew then and there I wanted more of it. I experienced grace that day. I saw it on people's faces. I, I heard it in the songs and the stories, and I felt it deep in my soul. And the memory of that experience and the promise of it still wakes me up every Sunday morning. We're talking this fall about experiencing grace, not just singing it, not just reading about it and hearing about it, but actually feeling it in our bones, being changed by it and shaped by it as individuals and, and as a congregation. 
We've learned that in order to experience grace, you have to experience anything. You have to participate in that thing. You have to be actively engaged. You have to jump in. You have to have personal contact. And so this fall, we're offering five ways for you to get more engaged so you can experience more grace. So far, we've learned that we experience grace when we gather for worship and we remember God's goodness to us and to the world, and we've been doing that today. We learned that we experience grace when we connect in a group to pursue the way of Jesus together. And today, we're going to learn that we experience grace when we serve on a team and get to see, hear, and feel God at work. Because I happen to believe there's a certain kind of grace that you only experience when you serve. If you're already serving, you know what I'm talking about. You know that feeling, and you want, that's why you keep showing up. If, if you aren't serving right now or you haven't served in a while, I hope by the time we're done today, you'll be so excited, you'll do whatever it takes to find a way to serve. So once again, we're going to go to the writings of the Apostle Paul, which we've been doing for this series. This time, we're going to step out of the prison epistles, so-called, and go to the book of Romans, a letter Paul wrote to the church in the city of Rome. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to suggest that we read this passage out loud together. Okay, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Let's read. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, we looked at this passage pretty carefully last fall as a part of our True Belonging series, and we focused on verse 5. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The church in Rome was a very diverse community, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, Greek and Roman, but they all came together around the message and the mission of Jesus and were being formed into this dynamic community in which each person played a part. And of course, the same thing is true of us here at Grace. We are a very diverse community. We come from a wide variety of ages and ethnicities and vocations and religious backgrounds and political perspectives. But we come together and we hang together to seek and follow Jesus. But there's more to belonging than just being in a room together or having your name on a membership roster. To belong to something is to be part of it. Be part of it in such a way that you actually contribute to that something you're a part of. And that's what Paul's making clear here in this passage. Every member in the body of Christ, the church, has a particular role to play. Just like every part of your body plays an important part in your functioning as a human being. 
your eyes and ears and hands and feet and your toes. Yes, even your toes. Earlier this week, the Green Bay Packers lost the football game because one player went out with a toe injury. Now think about it. It's 53 players on an NFL roster. That's 530 toes. <laughs> right? One toe goes down, and the game is lost. Every person matters. Every member of the body has a particular part to play. And if we don't, the whole body loses something. And so Paul says, to that end, we've each been given gifts to build up the body, to do God's work in the world. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, there's actually a little bit of wordplay going on in the original Greek language that we miss a little bit in our translation. In the Greek language, the word for gift is, is charismata, and the word for grace is charis, so it's the same root. So in a way, Paul's playing a bit of a pun uh, with us. We have different charismata according to the charis given to each of us. So on the one hand, Paul is telling his readers and telling us that, that we're gifted. It wasn't that whatever every parent wants to hear. Your child is gifted. Well, you are a gifted child if you're a member of the family of God. But the very same sentence, based on this wordplay, he's reminding us that this gift is a gift. We didn't earn it or deserve it. It's just given to us by God's grace. And just so we don't miss the point, he actually begins the section that way. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Paul understood that he had no right even to be speaking and writing to these people except for God's goodness to him. Then he says, do not think more of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, congratulations, you're gifted, but don't let it go to your head, all right? Don't let it go to your head. On the one hand, we celebrate the fact that God has given us a part to play in the life of the church. On the other hand, let's not forget that we are no more important than anyone else. Humility is often described as uh, thinking, knowing exactly who you are in Christ, knowing exactly who you are in Christ. And we're just sinners. We're saved by grace and we're destined for glory. That's who we are. And so humility isn't thinking too little of yourself. Oh, the church doesn't need me. I have nothing to offer. But it's not thinking too highly of yourself. I don't need the church. I've got it all together. Each of us and all of us have been gifted by God, but we need one another if we're going to experience grace and extend grace to the world. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about spiritual gifts because it turns out they are really important to the Apostle Paul. He talks about gifts three times in his letters, here in Romans 12, again in 1 Corinthians 12, again in Ephesians chapter 4. Peter devotes some time to them in one of his letters as well. So spiritual gifts are a big deal if we want to be true to God's call on our lives and the church. So let's think about them for a minute. We can define spiritual gifts this way. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities to serve the church in a particular 
and transformative way. And a few things we should point out. Spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Music or art or sports or sales. Spiritual gifts are not acquired skills that we gain through schooling or training or experience. Spiritual gifts are not personality types or temperaments, extrovert, introvert, number nine on the Enneagram, whatever it might be. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by God to believers in Christ to equip the church to do its work in the world. And there's something supernatural about them. When we exercise our gifts, transformative, remarkable, miraculous things happen. When Billy Graham preached the gospel, thousands, no, millions of people put their faith in Christ, even though it was often a very simple message because he had the gift of evangelism. Our partners down in Guatemala, Hector and Margarita Rivas, when they lead the Potter's House ministry, entire communities, garbage communities, are transformed by their work, by schools that are started and, and community centers that are raised up and job skills training and, and microenterprise because they have gifts of leadership and mercy. But it's not just religious professionals who have these kinds of gifts. Paul says, everyone, I say to every one of you, so when we exercise these gifts, we experience grace. We get to see, hear, and feel God at work in the lives of people. Now, it's hard to say exactly how many gifts there are. Some say 18, 19, 20, 21, depending on uh, which ones you actually count in the Scripture. Uh, Paul or you know, the scripture really never mentions the same list, same number of gifts twice. It kind of has a whole, whole variety of lists. So it could be there's even more gifts than we actually find mentioned in the scripture. Paul mentions seven of them here in this passage. So why don't we just walk through them briefly so we kind of get an understanding of what gifts are, how they work, and which ones we might have, and how we can experience grace when we use them. The first one Paul mentions is the gift of prophecy. I define it, we'll define it this way. The ability to speak a message from God to a particular people or moment. Prophecy has this sense of immediacy about it. That it's, it's to apply the scripture in a powerful and relevant way to a particular group of people or time or setting. Now, that gift of prophecy can be exercised spontaneously by, by anyone in the congregation, but most scholars kind of understand this gift as the preaching gift, the gift that enables people like me to, to open up the Scriptures week by week in a way that speaks with relevance and clarity into the life of a local congregation or ministry. Now, thankfully, I'm not the only one who has that gift around here. We have a whole team of teachers with, with the gift of preaching. And thankfully, some of them are younger than I am. Some of them are women. Some of them come from a variety of cultural backgrounds. And that's good because we need those perspectives and voices. And much as I love to exercise my gift, I want to share it so that we all hear from all of these voices. Now, I kind of discovered fairly early on that God had given me this gift, and, and I've been working at it my whole life. But I can tell you, after 35 years, I still experience grace almost every week 
as I prepare and deliver messages. Sometimes it happens when I'm alone studying and, and the Spirit shows me something in the Scripture that I just didn't see coming. And, and, and I'll sometimes just pump my fist in the air and say, yes, can't wait to preach that. Sometimes it happens right in the middle of a message when you suddenly get this sense that God is at work in the room. Sometimes it happens out in the lobby when someone grabs me and says, how did you know what I was going through this week? I didn't know, but God knew. It's supernatural. It's grace, and I'm so grateful for it. But that's just one of many gifts. Next, he mentions the gift of serving. The ability to meet needs and accomplish tasks related to God's work. Now, this one seems to be describing those kind of ordinary, ongoing, behind-the-scenes activities that kind of keep the life of a church functioning. When I think of people here at Grace who might have the gift of serving, I think of of cafe and coffee volunteers. I think of uh, greeters and ushers and parking lot attendants. I think of technicians who provide sound and light and sermon slides and music slides for us. Now, we tend to not notice often people who have the gift of serving, and sometimes that's just fine with them. But when they exercise those gifts, they and we experience grace. I invited folks who serve here at Grace to share some stories, so listen to this one that comes from one of our other campuses. One day, a woman came into our parking lot, and her car was dragging a hunk of metal that was making a loud and quite embarrassing scraping sound. It had just happened, and the car was now undrivable. She was about to call AAA when a parking team volunteer approached, laid down on the pavement, shimmied himself under her car on his back. After a few minutes of using some muscle power and without tools, he was able to tear a metal heat shield off, which set her at ease so she could enjoy the worship service and then drive home afterwards. That woman experienced grace that day, unexpected kindness. But I think the volunteer did too, knowing he'd been used by God to bless another person. A greeter on another campus tells the story of uh, greeting an older woman at the door one day. It was her first time at Grace. Unfortunately, she stumbled on the way in, fell and hit her head, and actually had to be taken in an ambulance to the hospital. Well, the greeter was so kind of moved by what happened, she decided to, to follow the ambulance to the hospital. So she went all the way over to the hospital so that she could keep that woman company while she waited for her family to arrive until the doctors could take care of her. And it was a great encouragement to that woman. That, that woman experienced grace that day. But it didn't stop there. A couple of weeks later, that greeter was on a video conference call at work, and suddenly a man on the other end of the call called her by name. turns out he's the son-in-law of the woman who fell, that he'd been at the hospital that day and was so appreciative of the care and compassion that this greeter had shown, he thanked her publicly in front of the whole group and told told her that his mother-in-law had been at Grace the following Sunday. So all those people experienced grace because one person faithfully was at the door holding it open for guests. It's the gift of serving. Maybe you have that gift. Maybe you just find great joy doing simple things, helping people in ways that allow bigger things to happen. Some of you maybe aren't comfortable being up front in a group of people, but you're very comfortable behind a computer screen. Or, or behind a, a coffee counter serving somebody. There are all kinds of ways to serve behind the scenes here at Grace 
but that allow ministry to happen and grace to be experienced. Well, next Paul talks about the gift of encouraging, which we can describe as the ability to minister words of comfort, consolation, and counsel, consistent with God's truth in a way that people literally feel helped and healed. Now, the word Paul uses here means to come alongside a person. So when I think of people here at Grace with the gift of encouragement, I tend to think of our prayer partners who pray with people after a service down front or maybe in a prayer room somewhere. I think of uh, people who serve on some of our caregiving teams. I think of our Stephen ministers who come alongside a person in a, in a rough season of life to be a spiritual friend to them. We have a, a cancer support group here at Grace that's actually called Encourage. Listen to what one of the, one of the volunteers writes. Serving in courage has given me a front row seat where I watch how God transforms those going through cancer, even through their suffering. We experience grace. Every time we hear a participant say they feel like Lazarus raised from the dead or that they're a better caregiver now or that they're witnessing to their medical team. And they experience grace as they no longer feel alone in their suffering. I think many of our small group leaders here at Grace, whether they serve with uh, children or students or adults, may not have the gift of teaching, but they have the gift of encouragement, of being able to be present in a moment so that God speaks through them to the people they're serving. Listen to this story. I was serving as a group leader on a senior high retreat when a student approached me and asked if we could talk. He was upset and told me he thought he was moving away from God and questioning his faith. As we talked, I could see God was using me to help this student by giving me his words to speak to him. I felt the grace of God flowing through me and into this student. We had a wonderful talk that ended with both of us feeling closer to God. If you think you might have the gift of encouragement, the ability to listen to another person and just kind of offer words of comfort and counsel and encouragement, then serving as a small group leader might be just the right spot for you with children or teenagers or adults. We'd love to help you find a spot like that or maybe on one of our care teams. Well, then there's the gift of teaching, the ability to communicate information relevant to the health and ministry of the body in a way that others will learn and grow. You don't have to be a scholar to have the gift of teaching. If you enjoy studying the Bible and helping other people understand the Bible, there's, there's a role for you to play. And again, you can do that with children in Kidstown. You can do it with student ministry. You can do it with adults helping to lead a small group Bible study. If you've never done that before, we'll train you. We'll give you materials. We'll offer you coaching and support. Give it a try. You may be surprised to discover you have this gift. One of our Kidstown workers told the story of a particularly... I'll call him distractible boy in her class, who she was just having a very hard time engaging week after week after week. It was a point of frustration to her. One, one Sunday in desperation, she asked the boy to come and help act out the story with her up front. And it turned out he was pretty good at it. She sent him a note that week telling him what a great job he'd done and what a big help he was. Well, the next Sunday, listen what she writes. He was sitting still, looking right up at me from the middle of the room. I don't know how I got through the lesson. I got a lump in my throat and my eyes teared up. 
This child who I struggled with was now looking up at me with a whole new regard. There was a connection. Both student and teacher experienced grace in that moment. The next one is the gift of giving. The ability to contribute material resources to accomplish God's purpose with liberality and cheerfulness. Now, word of clarification. There's no saying, oh, well, I don't have the gift of giving, so I guess I'm off the hook here. <laughs> it's not how it works. Like many of the other gifts, showing mercy, encouragement, all these kinds of things, evangelism, we all do these things as part of our following Christ and serving the church and the world. It's, it's just that some people have a particular gift. So it's the faithful giving of this entire congregation that enables us to to serve people here and around the world week by week. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, the giving's been really, really strong this year. We're almost right exactly where we need to be right now and way, way ahead of where we were this time last year. So thank you and thank God for your abundant provision. But some people have a special ability to give. They just give freely and cheerfully and strategically. And, and that enables the work of God to go forward. Listen to how one person puts it. It gives us great joy to be able to give to ministries and organizations that we see doing great work in the world. We're especially passionate about building healthy families and healthy kids. So we get really excited when we can support ministries in those areas. Helping to meet the financial needs of these ministries has knit us together as a couple. Like God is sending us out on a mission together. This has truly been an important way that we experience God's grace. If you think you might have the gift of giving, no matter how much or little money you have, but just the very act of giving brings you such joy and you want to give intelligently and thoughtfully, we'd love to help you cultivate that gift, not, not just for giving in grace, but for your wider giving to God's work in the world. Pastor Kurt, our stewardship pastor, your campus pastor, would love to have a conversation with you about that gift of giving. It was just a couple more. The gift of leading. We'll, we'll describe that as the ability to set and communicate God-honoring goals so that the people work together harmoniously to accomplish those goals to the glory of God. Every one of our campuses Every one of our ministries has a team of people who provide leadership to that campus or that ministry, both staff and volunteer leaders. The particular group that came to my mind first was the people we call elders here at Grace. Men and women elected by the congregation who bring their financial, spiritual, theological, pastoral, organizational shepherding skills to the leadership of this church. And together, they guard and guide this church as we carry out our God-given mission. We, we, we couldn't, I couldn't function without those kinds of leaders around us. And the final gift Paul mentions is showing mercy. The ability to feel genuine compassion for individuals suffering physical, mental, or emotional distress and to translate that compassion into cheerfully done deeds that alleviate suffering and reflect God's love. So showing mercy isn't just about feeling other people's pain. It's about finding ways to relieve that pain, very practical ways. 
When I think of people who do that here at Grace, I think of folks who are involved with our grassroots ministries, as we call them. They are meeting needs in the area of refugee resettlement, human trafficking, the sanctity of life, prison aftercare, foster kinship and adoption care, serving those kinds of areas. I think of many of you who volunteer with our regional and global partners to alleviate needs in our city and around the world. Hagar Sisters, Potter's House, a Place of Promise, Peer Servants, Boston Project. And I think of people who meet needs right here at Grace Chapel. Listen to this note from someone who serves in our food bank. We have a food bank open every Wednesday evening that provides people in need with, with food. I've been volunteering with the food bank for about seven years now, and it's always humbling and uplifting to see our clients, time after time, refuse to take any more than they absolutely need. Many are supporting large families and in dire straits financially, and yet they tell me to keep the rest of their allotment for someone else who needs it more. As a champion, a warrior myself, I'm always inspired by their generosity and faith. And so you can see that grace flows both ways when we exercise our spiritual gifts. And these people and the many others whose stories I didn't have time to tell, they would tell you it is one of the best feelings in the world to be used by God in the life of another person. So I think you're getting the idea. These are just seven of 20 or 21 or even more spiritual gifts, God-given abilities to equip the church to serve the world. And we've all been given at least one, if not two or three or four of them. And as we've seen and heard today, we experience grace when we serve on a team and get to see, hear, and feel God at work in our lives and in the lives of others. And we want more of you to have that feeling. We want to invite you to experience grace. So as you came in today, you should have received a little serving form that kind of lists many of the ways and the ministries that you can be involved in service here at Grace. Maybe you're not sure what your gift might be. One of the best ways to find out is just try some things. You're allowed to try something and say, you know what, this is not for me. I'll try something else. Just, just get involved. Find a way. So I'm going to invite you as we wrap up in just a few minutes to, to take a look at that little sheet. And if you're not serving right now or you sense you might be gifted in another area, just check off a box or two or three. You're not signing up to serve. You're just saying, I'd like to talk about this some more because we'd like to help you discover your gift wherever you end up serving you'll have a chance to actually put in the offering plate in just a few minutes as we bring not just our material gifts but our spiritual gifts back to the God who gave them to us. And of course, you can always go onto our website or the Grace Chapel app and just find ways to serve there. But before we finish, I want to leave you with a story. A story I told, man, at least 10 years ago, but people still tell me about it. They still remember it. And it's a story that I think just speaks so well to to what we're talking about here and, and how we understand uh, the, the, the way of Jesus and, and the way of service. It's a story that's told by a Christian writer and professor and friend of mine named Tim Laniak. He teaches at Gordon-Conwell Seminary down in Charlotte. Tim was working at a summer camp years ago when he was a college student. 
and he was in charge of a cabin full of middle school boys. There was a boy in that cabin named Frankie who had some special needs. He had a hard time just finding out how to join in with the other boys and, and, and often would kind of retreat into himself. Let me read you Tim's story in his words. I didn't try to push Frankie to do activities he shied away from, but I really wanted him to enjoy swimming with the group. Frankie knew how to swim, but every afternoon when we went to the pool, he refused to go in. When I asked him to join in, he would say, my mom says I have to put on my swimsuit, but I don't have to swim. And he would just circle the pool, repeating this to himself over and over again. One day, as Frankie was circling, I decided to try a new tactic. I got down on my knees in his pathway and purposely disrupted his routine. Frankie, I asked, will you go swimming with us today? Frankie replied, my mom says I have to put on my swimsuit, but I don't have to swim. I know, Frankie, I answered. You don't have to swim, but you get to swim. Frankie seemed disconcerted by this new twist on our dialogue. The small crowd of campers was now watching to see how the conversation would turn out. I don't have to swim, he repeated, but you get to swim, I repeated. We tried those lines out a few more times. And slowly, this new possibility dawned on him. He announced with conviction, I don't have to swim, I get to swim. And then, before an astonished crowd, he jumped into the pool. The campers burst into applause. A moment later, Frank's beaming face bobbed up from the water. It's cold, Tim, he yelled, treading water for all his life. I know, Frankie, I said, but once you get used to it, you're going to like it. Frankie shouted back, I already like it, Tim. Here at Grace, and because of grace, we don't have to serve. We get to serve. We get to use our gifts to see and hear and feel God at work in the lives of other people and the wider world around us. And as eager as Tim was to see Frankie swim, I am eager to see you serve because I know you'll experience grace and I know you're going to like it. Let's bow our heads for a few moments as we think about this. I would like to give you a quiet moment or two to think about what we've talked about here today and to maybe think about which of these gifts or any other you might have been given, whether you're using them in ways that are bringing you the kind of joy we've been talking about today. Maybe you want to have that little form out in front of you as you think through those things and invite the Lord to speak to you about an area you might want to learn more about. Maybe it's time to jump into the pool and see what God has for you and for those around you. So just take a moment to do that, and then I'll pray. Lord, I would begin by thanking you for the gifts you've given to me, for the joy I've had in using them all these years of my life, 
And here at Grace, thank you for that. Thank you for the many, many others here who are exercising their gifts in such wonderful ways that allow so many good things to happen from week to week in the lives of so many people and so many places. I pray for all those who are serving that they might know great joy today and, and as they serve. And for those maybe who are, aren't involved right now or are thinking about it or have been away for a while, pray, Lord, that if you're calling, they, they would sense your voice today and might begin to discover the ways that you've gifted them to serve the church and the world. And if it's time, Lord, give them the courage and the freedom to, to try something out. We'll trust you to lead all of us to our right places in the life of this church for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.